Welcome to the Attractions Group Podcast. I'm Ryan Sir. With me as always my co-host, Don Helbig. We have a very special show today and a special guest. But before we get started, remember to follow us on YouTube. Subscribe on there because we've got some really cool stuff going on on YouTube. Uh, if you prefer the audio version, though, look for us on your favorite podcast apps. And follow us on Twitter at Attractions underscore GRP. Don, take it away. Well, if you like fireworks, you go to the different amusement theme parks in the industry and you've seen fireworks shows, there's usually one name that's synonymous with those shows, and we're talking Rossi. We'd like to welcome to the Attractive Podcast, Joe Rossi. Awesome. Thank you guys for having me. Welcome aboard, Joe. Um, well, tell us about yourself and about Rossi's famous fireworks. What, what are you involved with? Well, right now, we, we are uh, um, still a family business. There is It's uh, ran by myself, uh, which I'm fourth generation. Three of my sisters are our owners, my sister Nancy's. His current president because she's the oldest <laughs> and my nephew mike who's fifth generation we are uh, uh have grown quite a bit over the past 10 years to uh you survived a pandemic and somehow made it to the other side to be probably about twice as big as we were mid mid, mid 2010s um wow we uh are cedar fairs fireworks vendor at 70 other amusement parks uh including king's island here uh plus numerous shows around around the country. Um, we're overseas. We uh, have a factory that we own an interest in in Italy. We do fireworks in, in Europe uh, as far away as Moscow. Wow. Uh, we've grown quite a bit over the past uh, 10 years. Well, Joe, your family, long history in the pyrotechnic business. Tell us about how your family got involved in it and, uh, you know, just, just kind of your your path yeah, to where so, we are today. Yeah, like I said, I'm fourth generation. My great grandfather came from a region in Italy that was known for fireworks, uh, right outside of Naples, and uh, emigrated here right around the turn of the century. As a matter of fact, I think the Ellis Island entry was 1900. My grandfather was five. Uh, they made a stop in New York for a few years, and then eventually ended up in Newcastle, Pennsylvania, where my great grandfather had a factory there, made fireworks. Uh, grandfather worked for him. They didn't always see eye to eye. So my grandfather decided, hey, we're doing fireworks at Coney Island, which, you know, 10 nights center in the, around 4th of July, 10 nights at the end of the year, you know, kind of unheard of. So he decided maybe that's a good place for me to move to. Found a nice little piece of property right over here in Loveland and uh, had a source of powder right up the road from here at King Powder. And We've been here, you know, ever since. Shot at Coney Island all the way through 1971, and then made the made the jump to Kings Island in 1972. So, I mean, a long history. Uh, most of my family, I'm the youngest, mm -hmm. grew up at Coney Island. So they tell me stories about. I was born in '67, so I was young. <laughs> so they would tell me stories about what you know, because there was always family picnics around fireworks shows and stuff. I grew up at Kings Island, so that's where I spent my youth. A number of stories that we could get into that we could talk all night about, but you know, Kings Island's always had a soft spot for me because that's kind of where my career started. Yeah, Coney Island, you mentioned uh, that was my earliest memory of seeing fireworks mm -hmm. was at that part, especially toward the end, in, you know, 771, and uh, you know, my introduction to the Rosy name. Mm -hmm. Awesome. So, you know, Don, you mentioned the, the Rosy name, so uh, that kind of leads me to my next question. So, Joe, obviously, your last name is Rossi, even for the layperson, and especially the Cincinnati region or the super region, uh, Rossi is a name that's associated with fireworks. Um, what's it like growing up 
with a famous name like that. It's like when you swipe your credit card, do people ever say like, hey, are you related to them? Or? They, they do. Yeah. They do? Yeah. I mean, it, it was it was a funny story. My father never liked that. It, it was very embarrassing to him. So whenever, if we would go to lunch, because we used to do that when I was working in the summer, if somebody recognized him and said something, we never went back to that restaurant. Wow. It was, he was just, he was funny like that. But, you know, it is, it's it's kind of interesting. I mean, my, my daughter's a teacher at a, a local high school, so she gets asked that question. My wife, are you related? I get, are you related? Yeah. Um, yeah, <laughs> I get that it's, all the time. It's fun. <laughs> it's, it's, it's fun. It's, it's humble. It really is humble. Yeah. Well, you know, it's sometimes it's about, uh, I'm not the star of the show, but the fireworks are the star of the show. Exactly. You just got to remind yourself of that sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, Joe, fireworks, they've come a long way. You know, from the days when they were shot by hand. Uh, tell us about uh, the technology behind shooting synchronized shows in today's world that you see. Yeah, so digital firing systems have been around since probably the late 80s. Uh, and they've improved and improved. But at the end of the day, they're very simple systems. They have to do a very simple function. And that's fire a, an E-match or an electric match at a certain time. So the fireworks still have a mind of their own. So... You do your best to to calculate lift times and things like that uh, by testing and, and making sure that you know things are consistent. Um, but the firing is really where it really shines is in intricate you know mine shots and comet shots where you can sip and do strafes. So those are emacs right into the powder. So the effect happens instantaneously. That's where it really shines. So the systems haven't changed a whole lot. They've gotten. They've improved in their functionality and their simplicity uh, and in their uh, ability to fire faster, fire more, more firing modules, uh, their timing. I mean, we were using you know, stopwatches mm-hmm. and, and, and voice cues. Mm-hmm. Then we went to uh, timecode driven. Now, most recently, we're using the GPS feature, which uh, has solved a lot of issues, especially remote sites. Really, the big changes were in the design software. So prior to design software, you basically were laying in line by line of typing in what the effect was, where it's coming from, copying and pasting it up to 45 times, separating out by a tenth of a second, and all of that was done manually. Now it's visual. So we can actually work within a, a, a visual simulation where we're choosing an effect that uh, the VDLs are really really close, probably 85, 90% to what the effect actually looks like. And all we have to do is drag it, grab it and drag it and drop it into however many positions we want, then play it back and see, does that work? And if you put the video side by side with a live video of a display, it's eerily accurate. And the first time I saw it, I was like, wow, that's what it really looks like. Because we don't see shows. Yeah, you're on the ground underneath it. So that's where the really the technology is improved. Fireworks themselves still function pretty much the same way. You know, there was an attempt to put digital firing inside the shell itself, but it was very expensive and cumbersome. So, but I think that maintains the beauty of fireworks because once it lights, it kind of lives. Yeah. So it's kind of yeah. got a mind of its own. So. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, that's, that's kind of where the technology is going. And it's exciting to see where it's going to go to next. Yeah, it's kind of funny you say that because uh, anytime we have uh, like a field expert on the show, we always ask like, you know, what's progressed with it or whatever. And there's always two answers, computers or cell phones. 
One of the two. In this case, it's computers, but you'll be yep. launching off your cell phone before you know it. And there are systems out there that'll already do that. So, <laughs> um, so one of the most well-known fireworks shows, uh, it, probably in the country, is um, Riverfest down on the river. Mm -hmm. uh, for those listening, you might have heard of it as like the WBN fireworks. It's Toyota WBN for a while. I think it's Western and Southern. Western and Southern WBN fireworks, um, yes. So what goes into um, like doing a show like that? Like well, more specifically, how did Rosies get involved with that? It's been such a large show. It was a chance phone call that my sister Nancy answered back in 1977. Mm -hmm. Got a phone call from, <clears throat> from Frank Wood, who was station manager at the time. I think, I think at the time it was still a family owned radio station. WBN, right? Yeah, WBN, yeah. Okay. Uh, that, hey, it's their 10th anniversary. They wanted to do a big fireworks show on the river. Mm -hmm. And, okay, never really been heard of. You know, we've done stuff for the Reds and stuff like that back then, but, you know, nothing like this. So, first show happened. It was, they were playing music at the radio station and we were shooting fireworks. Yeah. And it became such a success that first year. It drew such a big crowd that let's do it again. And then let's do it again. And then it just kept going to where, it just kept growing to where it is today, which I think this past year was 46, 46 years. 46 years. Yeah, so it's gone through several different sponsors, and of course, radio has changed quite a bit, um, but the show has maintained purity to the fact that it's just a fire show with rock music. Right, um, and uh, you know, just to piggyback off that, um, you know, it's been on the river every year, with the exception of 2020, obviously, and then you guys shot them at Kentucky Speedway. Why don't you give us a little backstory on that? Ooh, that's a long story. That's a long story. <laughs> we got time, that, Joe. We got time. That's a long story that worked within a span of about a month. Wow. So the, the station, Mustard and Southern, Mr. Barrett in particular, they still wanted to do the show. And it was a matter of coming up with a plan. So we kind of had some experience with that based because we managed to maintain about 50% of our 4th of July shows by doing these hybrid you know, stay at home and watch from this park or watch yeah. from this parking lot and stuff. So naturally the idea was, well, let's, let's try and do the same thing. So plan number one was five parks around Cincinnati and Northern Kentucky. We had picked out five different sites. Uh, they were remote sites. Nobody would really know what was going on. It was a one day setup, low and set it up, shoot it and, and go. So it wouldn't draw attention. Uh, City of Cincinnati was too uncomfortable. We met with Mayor Cranley at the time, and he was too uncomfortable. Okay. Plan number two. Hey, there's this big parking lot up at an amusement park. Right. I wonder if that's available. So reached out to Mike Kuntz, and, and he, he was pretty favorable, but I understood they were open. Yeah. And it would have been disruptive. Mm -hmm. So as we're standing out in the parking lot, I look across the highway. I said, well, what about the tennis, uh, tennis set? So that was plan number three. That so we went over there, chatted with them, and they have a policy of no fireworks on their property. All <laughs> right, let's shut that down. See, all, what has to make this happen is television. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, it wouldn't work. So all of these locations had infrastructure for television, be it fiber optic or someplace to set up cameras. Mm -hmm. So we kind of started scratching our heads, and then what about Kentucky Speedway? So I call up. We were doing fireworks there. So I called TJ was his name at the time. And he said, well, there's a problem. Our infield's covered with Amazon trucks. Mm. All right. Well, what about your parking lot across the street? It's empty. So, okay. We went down, <laughs> met with them, met with the local government, 
Jam 12 came down, scoped out camera sites. Everything was, yeah, this is it. I mean, so that was on Monday. On a Friday, I got a text message from a guy named Doug Lillibridge at Channel 12, and all he said was, I'm so sorry. What are you talking about? So I called Doug. What's going on? Western and Southern just pulled the plug. Really? Mm -hmm. Okay. So I gave it the weekend. So Monday morning, John Barrett and I usually meet at least once or twice a year. Very nice guy. Loves loves the city. Loves Cincinnati. Loves all the events. Loves the fireworks. And I call. I said, you know what? I've got his office number. Why not? So I called, and he answered. And I'm like, uh oh, came on. So, hey, John, how you doing? We chatted for a little bit. I say, you know, what, what made you decide not to do the fireworks, if you don't mind? And, he's, and he started talking in a, a way that says he really didn't want to cancel. Right. I said, okay. So we started going back and forth a little bit. And he said, let me, let me get back to you in a day or two. And in a day or two, we were back on. This was the middle of August. Yeah. We hadn't, Crunch time. hadn't got a soundtrack, hadn't had anything designed. We're in a new location. Uh, and we had to keep it as quiet as we could. So the station did a great job of throwing people off by coming up with these, you know, bogus pictures from this place and that place. And I didn't tell any of the crew. No one knew where it was going to be until the day before because we didn't want it out. We didn't, we didn't know if it got out on social media, if they were just going to pull the plug and that was the end of it. So finally we get down on site. And there's this big hullabaloo going on on Facebook with a picture from somewhere in Hamilton of one of our trucks, a truck with our logo. And that was it for the next week. Everybody was convinced it was in Hamilton. I remember that. So you and Dustin, right? Dustin Purvis? Yep. He's getting phone calls and text messages. Hey, come on, man. Give me a heads up. Where's it at? And we just played that all week long. And at the end of the day, some local people showed up because, you know, you can't keep yeah, they're going to see something. Not, and that they was it. Run. I mean, they, uh, Kentucky State Highway Patrol were prepared to shut that road down. They had roadblocks up, and nobody came. And it was perfect. And it was probably the funnest professor we've ever done because it wasn't on a barge. Yeah, that's true. I know. So, I was going to point out that 2020 is the only year where this is out of your mouth. You figure we can set up this large fireworks show, shoot it, and no one would notice. <laughs> That's the complete opposite of what you would want exactly. to see any other year. Exactly. And it, 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 it turned out great. And I think a lot of people were very, very happy that the tradition kept going. And I think that was important to all of us. It was. Yeah, that's mm -hmm. certainly a memorable show for you because mm -hmm. of the circumstances and everything. But you've done thousands of shows. Is there one that kind of stands out as a favorite? I'll have to say currently, it's Kings Island last summer. Kings Island's 15th. Yeah, fun fireworks and fireworks. Yeah, it was it was a very humbling because it was a historic accounting of not only the park, but you know, our relationship with the park. And I remember having a conversation, I think it was opening night, and I was talking to Ken Parks. And if anybody remembers back in the 70s, the Yogi Bear announced. Oh, yeah. Right? Well, yeah, Yogi Bear. with Hayden Starazzi on with the show, and they were trying their hardest to buy the rights to that, to put it in the soundtrack. But Hanna-Barbera wouldn't have it. So, uh, and when he told me that, I was like, really? And it just kind of hit me. This is, so yeah. So for me personally, growing up at Kings Island and going up there at night when I was a kid with my dad to watch the fireworks, he'd give me two bucks to go play skee-ball. He dropped me off 
at the back gate underneath the racer. Yeah. Right there where the big slide was. And I would do that. That was my summer with him. So I'd ride up there every night because we always tested stuff every night from, from the day's production. So I'd go play skee ball and sit at that little hamburger place and get something to eat. And then he'd pick me back up. Always having to tell whoever games attendance that mm, it's okay, I can go back here. Cause nobody made a big effort to stop me from going through the gate. Here I'm this 10, 12 year old kid just walking through. Dad said, just act like you know where you're going. And I did that for years. Yeah, those shows you guys did the parks, you know, or Kings Island in the in the 70s and 80s. I mean, that was woven into the fabric yeah. of my my youth. You know, just uh, it was a big thing every night that I would you know go. You wanted to get your position. Mm-hmm. To, to watch yep. the, the fireworks on International Street and uh, just a big deal. Still is. Yeah, that was my first show on my own. Yeah, it's what's funny is about uh, even like the five minute Kings Island show that was went on for years. It's like it's hard to drill into people's heads that like live around here and aren't well traveled when it comes to parks. Like it's not common to have nightly fireworks every night when the park closes at 10. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a hundred and something shows a year, isn't it? It was up to 120 uh, at one time. Every every night there was a 10 o'clock close. <clears throat> and, you know, back when, when we were growing up, you didn't go back to school until after Labor Day. Right. So when the schedules changed and it started becoming like late August, mid-August, park closed at 8. That's the only reason it changed. Other than that, we were, we were down, you know, every night of operation. 100-something days in a row. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I imagine when you shoot these fireworks, you don't do them yourself. Um, it's clearly a team effort. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, do you have to be named Rosie to shoot fireworks with you? Oh gosh, no. There's not enough of us. <laughs> There's uh, Well, how can you get involved if you want to shoot fireworks on a professional level? So we ask everyone to reach out to us through our, our website, rosiefireworks.com. Um, you can reach out to me through my Facebook page, Joe Rosie, and just let us know if you're interested. And then we'll, we'll you know, I usually meet with new people to see how much of an interest you have. Mm-hmm. Is this something you're looking at? You know, do you have the time? This is how it works. We're on weekends in the summertime. They're long days. Uh, it's out in the weather. I'm just going to throw it all at you right now so you're not surprised. Right. And then, you know, come to our school. And our school this year is April 22nd at Clinton County Fairgrounds. Just go to our website and you can sign up for the school. Uh, come out and our our operators are always looking for new assistants. We're always looking for new people that we can we can train and develop into uh, lead techs. Uh, especially this year, you know, last year was was huge. This year looks like it's going to be even bigger. Um, so yeah, we're we're always looking for for help. So that's the best way to get a hold of us. And we will uh, put a direct link to the shooter school that you mentioned okay. uh, in the description on both YouTube and the podcast app. So if anyone's interested. Uh, I know a guy who's worked for him before <laughs> that may have been an assistant for a long time, yep. but still considers himself an assistant yep. now. Um, so uh, why don't you, um, since we're kind of on the subject, uh, you mentioned like it's all weather and stuff like that. Uh, if someone, just very 60 seconds, all right, describe what a day is like shooting a fireworks show for somebody that has never been exposed to it on a, on a professional level. So if you're an assistant, it's your first show. If you're an assistant, it, it starts out at, it depends on the size of the show. It could start at as early as 8 a.m. or as late as noon. Mm-hmm. You arrive on site, you have a lead technician give you instruction. It's moving fairly heavy equipment, setting up our mortar racks. That takes, you know, some of the day, and then it's actually handling the product. Um, it, it loading, 
So, you know, weather becomes a factor because they're not, you know, fireworks do not like wet weather. So sometimes you're loading under a tent. Um, it's just working with a lot of your hands. So the heavy work happens at the beginning, loading, getting it ready to shoot, uh, excitement leading up to showtime, you know, be it 10 o'clock or 9 o'clock, whatever time it is. There's that 10, 15, 20 minutes of, you know, of excitement. And then 15 minutes of waiting. And then the next two hours of breaking all that equipment down and put it back on a truck. Right. And that's a typical day. It's, it's in, in, as long as the show goes well, um, at the end of the night, it's, it's, you know, you've, you've, you've given a number of people hundreds or thousands or tens of thousands, or in the case of Riverfest, hundreds of thousands of people a night to remember. Exactly. Now, I've heard from this friend that's definitely not me who's worked for you as an assistant on several shows that uh, some of the most rewarding things is like you can, well, first of all, you get the best seat in that. Well, you could argue what the best seat in the house is, but you're pretty, you're as close as you get legally, yeah. you know, so that's kind of really cool. But also um, for most shows, you can hear oohs and ahs and stuff, mm -hmm. and that kind of makes it, it entirely worth it. It does. It's Absolutely. like anything else that if you do anything in entertainment, it's a lot of hard work. And then you you hear the reaction and stuff, and that's yeah. where the real the real payment. Is. Yeah, and, and sometimes we're a little far away from the crowd, um, but you know you're not so far. You can still hear that, and that's that's why we do it. That's why we spend that this entire day out in ninety degree heat, mm -hmm. or in the winter time in twenty degree weather, and do it because it, it, you, you're entertainers, right? You know, we just don't do the performing. The fireworks do the yeah, I mean you're 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 a you're a you're a set piece and the stage is uh, holding go. holding the fireworks, but yeah, you're right. And then what the thing that's always gotten um, the person that I know is definitely not me that's been an assistant for Rosies. I wonder if they'll ever pick up on the fact that it's actually me they're talking. <laughs> but anyway, um, but it's the fact that like with fireworks, that's always the climax of the event. That's mm -hmm. always when you go to Kings Island, uh, you stay until ten because you want to watch the fireworks. Yep. You know, Fourth of July, you do picnics and games and stuff, and then. The night is when the fireworks are. And you know that. I mean, that doesn't change even when, no matter what side of the firing system you're on. No, it doesn't. It's exciting for all of our people. It's exciting for our, our audiences. It's exciting for your clients. And those, you know, those are the people who are hiring you and entrusting you to do to do a great job. And, and it's fireworks. There is an inherent danger and a risk to it. Um, that can happen in any with any genre of entertainment. Uh, that's why we're further away than everyone else. You know, things can go wrong because these things live and breathe. Mm -hmm. So you can do everything you can to ensure safety or to ensure you know, something doesn't, a malfunction doesn't occur, but it's going to happen once in a while. Mm -hmm. And I mean, it happened to me once and, you know, it sticks in the back of my head and it probably forever will. So you just, you pay a little bit more attention, you pay a little closer. Sometimes I become a pain in the butt, but there's a reason. And, no, yeah. and you know, especially if I'm lead on a show, I did, I didn't work shows this summer that I've done in probably ten or fifteen years, and you know, you're you're responsible. You're the lead tech. You're responsible for what goes on yeah. on that site. And you know, anytime we've got shows out, and it's usually every weekend from March through the end of the year, you know, I'm responsible. So when my phone's always on at at ten o'clock at night or at ten thirty at night, waiting for a phone call from whoever's out shooting, and as you as you know, if I don't get a phone call by 1030, because I know how long your show was, right? I'll call you, mm -hmm. you know, just to make sure you guys are okay. And it's not to, it's, it's, it's not to check up on you. It's to check on you. 
right. make sure you did that. Mm -hmm. And please text me when you get back to the facility. Mm -hmm. So I know you got home safe because I'm responsible for everybody. You know, Joe, you touched a little bit on what uh, like a typical day is like if you want to uh, pursue being a fire technician. But what would it be like if you want to start doing that as a career? Is it, uh, you know, kind of walk through what that lifestyle is like? Do you travel a lot? Can you just stay in like one particular place like Cincinnati and do it? Um, you know, what's involved? There? It's, you know, as far as a career goes, it, there's there's the potential for traveling. Sure. Um, and we, we we do a lot of shows around the country all throughout the season. And, you know, some of the winter season is a little bit slower. Uh, so it might be a January, February where there isn't much going on, but for the rest of the summer, um, you know, it's it's busy. Like for well, for instance, we have two other Cedar Fair parks that are spinning up their fiftieth this summer. Mm -hmm. So they're going to be doing a stretch of a couple of months. Uh, Kings Island's bringing their show back. That's that's, from what I understand, is going to be another eighty-five or so nights. So there's a lot of potential for more seasonal. If you want a career at fireworks, it's get in to a company on the ground floor. And just kind of work your way up. I mean, as we grow, we're hiring. You know, as we grow, we're building in our facility. Um, we're adding, you know, not only seasonal help, but we're adding year-round help. We brought on a couple of young kids, and that's a young person's job. I'll, I'll be the first one to tell you that. Well, that was one of my questions. Was it, it seems to me like it, it, it's a young man's game. It, well, if you're out shooting shows, yeah. I mean, I... Or young person. I'm not going to say that I did. I mean, I loaded trucks all summer. We were, you know, we load for the Fourth of July, which is our season. That's our busy time. You know, I think about 60 trucks this year is what we rented, and uh, I, I loaded quite a few of them. And it just kept going right after the Fourth of July. So it's physical. We'll put it that way. Yeah. You know, whether you're in shape at 55 to do physical work or not, but you know, you want to find people that you can develop. You want to find young people you can develop uh, and, and build a niche for them so they can work their way up. And, you know, as we grow, we're going to continue to have that need. So 60 trucks, the uh, logistics behind that are astounding. Oh, it's a nightmare. <laughs> Especially with, so, so let's talk about the after effects of COVID. Is that okay? Yeah. Yeah. So 2020, was an interesting year. We managed to salvage about 50% of our business. Retail went through the roof because people couldn't go to fire shows. So I remember driving home from Kings Island on that 4th of July. I'm coming up 22 through, the, through my township, Hamilton Township, and I'm watching fireworks coming from neighborhoods I've never seen before. It's like, whew. So, but our displays were down 50% solid. <clears throat> and, you know, we managed. 2021 came around. And there was still some uneasiness, but then there were others. No, we're gone, though. We're going. We're, we're doing our shows. So it got busy. We had a few guys who had been shooting for us for a long time who decided, you know, they enjoyed their 4th of July off. They were older. I think, I think I'm going to take this as an opportunity to retire. Mm -hmm. So finding help was, was difficult in 21. Yeah, ever, everywhere. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It, well, yeah, because I think Kings Island didn't, couldn't open, couldn't staff uh, two shifts for a bit. Because I remember some of the 10 o'clock closings changed to eight. Well, I mean, not just Kings Island, uh, Walt, uh, like Waffle House. Oh, yeah. 24 hours. Oh, gosh, and, everybody, yeah. So, I mean, but I imagine places like anything park and you, where you have to have a lot of people for like a certain amount of time, mm -hmm. it's probably way worse. 
than it, it is was. anywhere else. It was. It was. It was a nightmare. But there were some silver linings. Some new people came around that that you know were itching to kind of do something and and uh, were eager to work. Um, we uh, but the other issue was trucks, rental trucks. Mm-hmm. You know, the automotive shortage affected mm-hmm. rental trucks. So we were we were scrounging for what we could get. We managed to get enough trucks in 21. 22 is a different story. Ryder always serviced us with at least 40 to 50 trucks and we would get budgets for the rest. Ryder offered us, he said, I can promise you 20. Wow. I said, wait a minute. So I took a chance and reached out to U-Haul. We had bread from, from, from U-Hauls in 25 years and they were more than willing to work out, work with us. So between Ryder, budget, and U-Haul, we managed to make it all work. So that was the biggest thing. Then supply chain last year. And it wasn't just, we had a good inventory because we, we had some carryover still from 21. We managed to get a couple containers from overseas uh, early enough in the year, which was right around this time last year. But whatever was going on in China with bookings, containers were getting stacked up in China. They weren't leaving, they weren't, they weren't getting bookings on vessels. One of our manufacturers this time of the year last year called out to us and said, listen, I have to shut down production. I can't ship anything yeah, and I can't store anything. So he shut down. Uh, some of the other manufacturers got together with our trade association and actually chartered a vessel. 300 containers of fireworks were on it, which that's pretty unprecedented. Well, it was supposed to depart April. Then it was the beginning of May. Mm. Then it didn't leave till the end of May. We wrote it off. We had two containers on it. Uh, that didn't show up until after the 4th of July. And some companies, it totally wiped them out. They, everything they were purchasing were almost containers. So it really did a number on a lot of people. Um, we got lucky. We got lucky. Then we got our stuff right after the 4th and we could continue on. Yeah. And this year it's, it's, oh, plus freight went up 300%. Yeah. Yeah. And it's right, you know, it's container fireworks from, from overseas is around 15,000 in 2019, 45,000. Yeah. And you had to buy the container. Yeah. So well, what's a container? I mean, four or 5,000. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, and the price of steel is constantly going yeah. up. So that's, mm-hmm. you know, copper went up. So our wire, our e-matches, the rematch manufacturer was, was spoon feeding the industry he matches all season long. As he was getting copper, he was running it and shipping it uh, as quickly as he was making it. It was, it was probably the most stressful 4th of July season, summer season I've ever had. It was, you know, it, it got us to a point where, okay, I don't trust anything. I don't believe anything. So it, it you know, we learned a lot and you know, we made changes. We made some, some adjustments and we've got containers on the water now we've got you know we have to order 12 months out especially from china in order to get containers so we're already looking at 2024 and you know what's 2024 gonna hold i mean i've been saying this for for a while so I put my other hat on mm-hmm. you know, right i'm a township trustee i'm a politician so hamilton township which is where we are got 1.2 million in cares act money and then 2.4 million in ARPA funds. So you could almost do whatever you wanted with ARPA, ARPA funds. So this little township got that kind of money. Imagine like 
surrounding cities. Cincinnati got 300 million. Mm -hmm. Well, that's done. So what we noticed was there was a lot of money out there. So what's going to happen this year and in 24? Right. To be seen. Well, I mean, I guess that's always true. It is. You know. It is. But, you know, it's it's an influx of money that you never had. And, and it only comes once in a while. It only came once in a while. Now what's going to happen in a couple of years? Because when, when you budget. What you do is you look at that money and you, and you look at your, where do you spend, well, where do you spend money? Where's your money for fireworks come from? Mm -hmm. Well, it comes from tax dollars. Well, if I can use this portion of money for projects in, in the city or wherever, and then I can reappropriate this for fireworks, hey, I can add to my fireworks budget. Yeah. And that would be a terrible situation to be in as like, uh, you know, local council or whatever, because uh, money, there's only so much money. Uh, you, you know that as well as anybody else or mm -hmm. more. Uh, and there are certain things that need to be done. Um, fireworks are absolutely expendable, but they're also in the demand from the citizens. So. They are. <laughs> that is the other thing. We Our retail store sold out in 2020, 2021, and 2022. And we've got a little 1,800 square foot store. Mm -hmm. And more and more people just kept going through it and going through it. And it just, it was, we closed last year, or not the year, last year, the year before at four o'clock on the 4th of July. We had nothing left to sell. Wow. And I imagine that's happened, you know, in other, in a lot of retail stores. Uh, I heard one store uh, down on the other side of town actually closed two days before the 4th of July. They just ran out of stuff. Do you source the fireworks or the consumer fireworks from the same place where you get the professional stuff? Or is that a completely different industry? It comes out of China. It all comes out of China. There's different manufacturers that manufacture consumer and then also manufacture display fireworks. Um, but, you know, some of them cross over. So essentially, they all come from a very similar province. Liang is is home to, I want to say, about 30 different manufacturers. And even that industry has changed in China. It went from, you know, a thousand factories down to, I think, a total of 300-ish or so. Yeah. Uh, it, it's just not an industry over there that, that their young people want to do. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, we'd rather make iPhones and clean them. And I get it. I get it. So we source a lot of our product out of Italy. And we work with, uh, right now, three different manufacturers there, one of which we own an interest in, and then two others that can satisfy our our need. Uh, and it's different. It's, we shot a lot of it at Kings Island this summer. It's beautiful product, beautiful shells. A little bit more expensive, but not horrible. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, now that you've bummed us out, let's talk about the shots at Kings Island. Um, <laughs> So <laughs> we're depressed now. Yeah. Thanks, Joe. yeah. We're, we're going to have to take a break now. No, I'm just kidding. Um, so, okay. So uh, I, I put on Twitter that we were, um, you know, that we were going to have you on, on the show. And I was like, if you have any questions about theme park fireworks or fireworks in general, um, you know, drop them here. And we're going to get to those Twitter questions. Okay. But everybody was asking questions about fun fireworks in 50, which you already mentioned is... Mm -hmm. You know your favorite show and it's probably mine too honestly mine too uh so you know for, for those of you who haven't seen it pause the video now look it up on youtube fun fireworks and 50 kings island 2022 it'll be the most incredible thing ever uh so that involved regular shells in the air it had uh, close proximity fireworks off the roofs of international street which is you know close to people uh in flames so a bunch of different well oh yeah and by the way drones just to throw in the mix. Um, 
So a uh, lot of moving parts there. So why don't you talk about the challenges associated with a show that has so many facets to it? Uh, you know, I'm not going to say there were a whole lot of challenges to it because we're so familiar with the park. Mm -hmm. We had done the rooftops at one time. We put flame effects around the fountain for Haunt. Mm -hmm. The aerial site is is been established. Yeah. And then bringing all those elements together um, was, you know, the, the, the tech services at the park was, was fantastic. I, I can only remember one night when I was a little upset with Nick and uh, when uh, we were uh, dropping time code and, and come to find out, this is funny, come to find out that our feet came off of tech services. Can I talk about this? Is this okay? <laughs> you and I can talk about it. He's going to just look the other way. I was going <laughs> well, and, and I, in, in his defense, he probably didn't realize what was going on, but we were time code feed came off of tech services and happened to be a night I'm there and I'm watching the, 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 the clock spin up and all of a sudden it would stop and then it started again, stop, start again. Like, what the heck's going on? And I'm radioing to Keener and, and, and he's like, I said, yeah, but it's not dropping, but it kept stopping and it was giving me a heart attack. Well, I guess Nick was, was looking at various video cameras around the park and it was drawing bandwidth. And I guess he quickly realized what he was doing because he heard the radio chatter, so he stopped. And I'm like, oh. This is before the show? Or this, is, the this was the last IBM. I'm, I'm counting down 45 seconds. 44 seconds, because I've got a countdown clock and a time clock clock, clock counting up. Yes. So, <laughs> so but the, the, the people at the park, we've got such a great relationship with, with everyone at, at Kings Island that it just, it was, it was easy. Mm -hmm. The challenging part, if there was one, were drones. Yeah, new elements. It was a new element. We were unfamiliar with them. Um, but we have a great partnership with Verge, Vergero, which is mm -hmm. the manufacturer. So they were in town for the first week of, of rehearsals and operation. And really made it easy. What I did find is, is we had five drone pilots mm -hmm. and all five of them were helicopter pilots. Okay. And it wasn't just about them being able to fly vertical aircraft. It was that they were very regimented and very detail oriented. Uh, and you know, those guys, and especially guys like Zach Phillips, they made that show fly every night mm -hmm. and were very upfront and honest when I'm uncomfortable because I've got rain coming. Right. Um, so it, it, it was, it was, was the design challenging? Sure. But the execution other than staffing was, you know, I mean, it, it, we have a great partnership with, yeah. with Kings Island that goes back 50 years. So I was concerned about this going into the interview. Um, just make sure that you and I aren't talking firework terms. For those of you who don't know what time code is, oh. uh, I'm going to give them the short <laughs> of it. Uh, Time code essentially is like a, it's the language that the lights and the fireworks and everything speaks. So they know when to do what. This light changes from blue to red at this time. This firework shoots at this time. It's all on time code. So his concern with this anecdote before was that if there's erratic time code or no time code, there's no show. So right. that's what it comes down yeah. to. Yeah, digital clock. Digital clock, exactly. what it is, yeah. yeah. Well, Joe, the drones obviously were one of the most popular elements of fun fireworks in 50 and you see different fireworks shows now around the country and all incorporating drones. And for years, it was just fireworks. Yeah. Talk about that process for you uh, in integrating drones into what you do. Well, I'll start off by saying I was skeptical. 
I was skeptical about drones and fireworks together. Is this going to really work? Is this going to really work? <clears throat> and I think there was a need that um, the park wanted to tell a story with this show. And there were some concerns about how to do that. So we were able to make the drone package happen, um, but I was still skeptical. So you designed both of the shows separate, right? So we're designing the fireworks display and, and then we, we render a digital video and okay, where are we putting drones? And that's where the show director, the producer came in with the various images, how he wanted it to flow. And uh, it, it, the couple of, of test flights we did, okay, look good. Um, okay, yeah, that's kind of cool. And then the rehearsal we did, huh, that's really cool. And then we got to opening night. And so I was getting convinced that this is going to work well together. So we get to opening night, and I'm standing up at, up at uh, over, almost under the main gate. And the show's starting, and you can see the drones take, take launching because they're flashing. And I turn around, and it's when the king, right before the king is on logo, there's a, there's a, I'm assuming it was the father holding a little boy. Mm -hmm. And I tapped on his shoulder, and I pointed up at the sky. And just then the King's Own logo came on and his kids did flies the mm -hmm. That was horrible. Oh. And that was it. And I watched everybody. I was watching everybody around the top of International Street watching the show. And it was, I didn't watch the show. I was in, in awe of all of these people just standing there watching this. It was, it was cool. I mean, for me, was, I was just, you know, in awe of how it all came together to... I mean, it was. They were. I heard they were talking about this at Disney. Yeah. So, you're still skeptical about drones, I understand? I don't know. <laughs> no. Uh, well, no, it was... I had. To, I guess it, I had to see I, it. Oh, you know, yeah. Over the years... Okay, so, over the years, that when, when they first started introducing digital firing systems, I mean, what? Yeah. You know, let a computer shoot it? I mean, and prior to that was, why are you going to push a button? I mean, because mm -hmm. I, I grew up with band fire. Yeah. So every time it evolved into something different, sure, I was skeptical. But then, okay, oh, that's what you can do. Oh, okay, oh, I could do this with a digital firing system. And, and then lasers. Well, you know, lasers will be the next thing. Uh, and, you know, okay. But then when you integrate all of it together, okay, now this is cool. So it, it's just something I had to see because, you know, I'm, Fireworks. I grew up doing fireworks. So you want to throw drones? And there's people that say, oh, drones will replace fireworks. And in some cities, they have. Mm -hmm. If you go out west on the 4th of July, they're drone shows. Yeah. They've gotten rid of their fireworks displays. So as, as a person in the industry, you step back, okay, is, is this something I should be worried about? Or is this something that we can, we can work with? Yeah. So, but you get through that. And, and that opening night, I was like, wow, this is yeah, I agree. Um, you know, it's uh, it, just my, my anecdote. I, I had been, um, I had heard from people within like entertainment and I don't remember who it was, maybe it was a Razi person that they were going to run through the show the day before it was supposed to open, which is typical, you know, in, in the industry. So I made my way up there and I remember watching the show and, you know, everyone's jaw was on the floor and uh, Don was there and I mean, we didn't watch the show together, but I came up to him after the show and I was like, I hope you like drones because you're stuck with them for the rest of your life because they went over so dang well. Yeah. Yeah. I would say that uh absolute home run. I mean, I understand your skepticism. I, I mean I really do, but uh, you know, with that being said, in practice, if anything, you can extend the show because there's less 
firework product you're shooting. If you do drone stuff for five minutes, you can technically make a 25-minute show. And you can. A, you know, a similar you can. The, the limitation on, on drones currently uh, is about 13 minutes of showtime. Yeah. They can fly for about 20, but once they start show, and then wind is a factor because if mm -hmm. they're fighting wind, it's... So we were getting drones landing at about 30% battery capacity, which, you know, it's, it's, it's on the edge. They start to act up a little bit, anything lower than that. But, mm -hmm. but you're right. I mean, you could launch them. You could shoot a fireworks and then launch them at some point in the show, do their thing. Fireworks come back in and out and in and out. And yeah, you're right. You can turn it into a longer show. Good. Yeah. So two things are going to happen. One of two. Either they're going to improve the battery life, which they have with drones, but it's like a minute per year. Or maybe the price will get down on drones enough that you would have more than one fleet on a show where they would trade out at some point. Mm -hmm. But, you know, with uh, the price tag on a show like that, uh, not an option right now for, for most places, but yeah, maybe in the future. But let me ask you this. So uh, another element of the show that was really a wow moment was uh, there were flames around the Royal Fountain. Yep. Now, you've done flames for years during haunts. Mm -hmm. These were different. Yep. Talk about the different technology between the two. Yeah, so what we do for Haunt are basically gas propane flame heads, and it just shoots a flame straight. It pressurizes, blows them straight. Nice, hot, bright flame for Haunt. It's got a scare factor, right? Mm -hmm. So these are, are uh, made by a South Korean company called Explo. It's an X2 wave flame machine, and it's got a moving head. Mm -hmm. And it uses isopar, liquid, alcohol, basically. Mm -hmm. So you can program their movement. You can program the speed, you can program how they shoot within that. So you've got more versatility to make them dance. And I think that was a, a good choice of, because they wanted flame around the fountain, they actually wanted flame in the fountain. But that was a bit of an expensive endeavor. So this, <laughs> I think this worked out better, but it was really cool. And how they, how they were utilized, I think was really cool. Uh, actually, Brian Keeling came up with the programming for the flame units and did a great job. Mm -hmm. And he uh, perfected it over the course of the first couple of weeks, and it got better and better each time. He came up with a way to control it. You're usually controlling a program with a lighting controller, right? Mm -hmm. And you know how difficult a lighting controller is to program. Right. This was a Cobra, which is a, which is a wireless fireworks firing system that can be adapted to output uh, DMX, which when we explain what DMX is, it's just basically a... The kind of plug that lights language. Use. <laughs> it's a language. And... Yeah. and you could program this in our design software, or Finale design software, mm. and output it directly into the controller. It was like, it was a brilliant and inexpensive solution to an expensive problem. Yeah. And Brian came up with it, and yeah, it took him a little bit to get it, but we got it. Well, I mean, nobody who saw it the first couple of days would know that it wasn't perfect, but I, I mean, maybe it was perfect and he made it more perfect he if just, you think about he, it. He likes to tweak things, which he, he, he probably watched it, and he went back and wanted to tune it up, and. And, and he had me film it for him a few times. Yeah, <laughs> no, I get it. That's what he's good at. He's good at that. He's good at. He was good at coming up with that system. Brian, he's very talented about with when it comes to. And actually, he Tyler did the actual design of the fireworks show. Uh, Brian kind of tweaked it a little bit. Uh, so yeah, and he's a talented kid. Kid, he's not a kid anymore. <laughs> he's a talented thirty-nine year old. Yeah. <laughs> okay, he's still younger than me. <laughs> Joe, I want to um, circle back to Fun Fireworks in 50 again. Uh, one of the, the wow moments uh, for me, and I know a lot of the guests that visited the park, was the fireworks coming off mm -hmm. the buildings. 
Yep. Now, when you have a show, fun fireworks in 50, 14 minutes, you know, a lot of times shows are 10 minutes. How often can you shoot them off the buildings during a show before the audience becomes a little numb to that, maybe, that effect? If you do it too much, you're right. If you do it too much, if you sprinkle it in, sprinkle it in, open it, sprinkle it in here and there in appropriate moments, uh, and then finish it off towards the end with, you know, the the, the bigger, the, a finale ask. Right. Yeah. Yeah, if you try to do that all throughout an entire show, uh, it starts to get kind of, okay, all right, you know, enough of this. So, you know, it's the same when you're doing a, a a musical fireworks display with what we call one shots, which would be mind, mind devices that shoot a plume. There's a time and a place. Mm -hmm. If you just simply hit it for the entire thing, it's, yeah, we stop watching. Yeah. It's like watching a fireworks show that's a 30-minute finale or a 15-minute finale. It sounds cool. You're the biggest fireworks show in the world, yeah. and it's, it's you know, well, it felt like the right shells a minute. Yeah, yeah, the right mix because, yeah. you know, you were still, every it time did. it went off, you weren't expecting it, number one. <laughs> You know, and it was still multiple times through it, but it, it, you know, to me, it just felt like it, it was just the right amount. Yeah, it was the right amount. I, I can't remember the number, but it came at the right moments. I'm trying to do the math. I think it was about 24 per site or so. Is it sound right, or is it less than that? It's 180 altogether, I think. Okay. Don't do the math. By four. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a math person. Okay. <laughs> so, okay. So we talked about Kings Island. We talked about uh, Riverfest and... Uh, what are some other projects that Rosie does, especially on a regular basis, that people might have heard about that didn't know you were associated with? You know, there's a number of shows we do around the city of Cincinnati. I mean, most of most of the events I hope were in Old Park, Coney still on the fourth on July third, Fairfield. We went there for years. Uh, it, um, you know, most of the neighborhoods and and cities surrounding Cincinnati and Northern Kentucky uh, were at Florence Y'all's. For mm -hmm. their Friday night fireworks, Reds Friday night fireworks, Reds in game too. When it's Reds game too, yeah, games we have a scoreboard. We used to call it the exploding scoreboard. Uh, still kind of do. Um, and we've got a pair. Of, we've got some flame heads down there also for strikeouts. Mm -hmm. uh, we are out out of. We do a number of shows in and around uh, Central Ohio, Northwest Ohio, Detroit Tigers. We uh, we do as well. Okay. Um, we are in, we're actually in Montreal every summer. So there's a fireworks competition. I don't know if you're familiar with it. Yeah. At, at La Ronde, mm -hmm. Six Flags Park. Uh, and it's been going since 83. And over the years, things have gotten a little more expensive for them to bring in uh, product overseas. So we help out some competitors by providing product and support. But we always do, we do the closing show. So there's six shows throughout the month of July. And then when the winners are announced, there's a closing fireworks display. And we've been doing that for the past seven years. Mm -hmm. uh, this summer, we're going to be in Cannes for a fireworks competition. We're hoping to return to more shows in Europe because since 2020, they've kind of, they're slowly coming back. But in 2019, we did, I want to say, seven or eight shows across Europe. We were in Hanover, we were in Nice, Marseille, Torino, uh, Moscow. Um, we're hoping that starts to come back, but we are competing in Cannes this 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 July. Uh, you know, it's just and then it's just it's everything else. I mean, the, the weddings and church festivals and mm -hmm. you know that's your that's our thing. We've had customers that have been with us for well fifty years yeah. uh, that uh, you know are just stable mates. That FC Cincinnati, uh, we do all of their rooftop pyro and field pyro when they do it. 
um, yeah, it's UC, yeah. UC football, UC basketball. Uh, hopefully with the Big 12, they'll be doing more. Mm-hmm. We'll see, but... Xavier? You saw Xavier? No. No, Xavier. Xavier. Okay. All right. Well, that's awesome. Joe, you've seen over the years you've been involved uh, with fireworks and, and putting together these shows. You've seen different technology in terms of how to launch the fireworks. And now you've seen drones being integrated into shows. Let's look down the road, say 10 years from now. What are some of the things you think are possibilities to be next, the next thing? I mean, I think right now what you're going to see is is continuing improvements on what we're currently doing. I mean, drones, the concept of drones has been around for a while. And it's finally started to really catch on. I mean, you had Intel doing it, Verge doing it, but you didn't really see it. Now it's starting to catch on. So I think you've got a few years of this. What's coming next is our design fireworks design software is going to incorporate right now the drone video into it so we can present to a client a full show. And I think you're going to see the possibility of easier design software for drones so you could do more with it. Um, fireworks, I think, are going to continue to improve. Um, we're starting to incorporate proximate smoke devices for daylight shows. Uh, that, that I think is going to you know, change daytime events. You might see you know, one of the problems with FC Cincinnati is most of their kick is at 730 mm-hmm. and it's still light out. Right. So we'll be able to incorporate smoke devices that are clean burning. I think you'll see flame effects improve. And, and I mean, there's already some other machines out there that I'd like to get my hands on at 360 degree rotation and, and stuff like that. So I think it's just, what do we got and what can we do with it? All right. So the, fire, the, the fireworks design software got to a point where, how can we exploit this? What else can we do next with this? with fireworks so right now we can do um one shots in a 360 degree wheel so we'll mount these these three ginormous wheels on the taylor southgate bridge it's basically a round mounting bracket that's got multiple rings loaded with 2,000 one shots and zip zip and just do all kinds of different patterns what else can we do with that yeah uh, yeah yeah ryan you mentioned earlier you we had some questions on uh, Twitter. Oh, yeah. So what are those questions for Joe? Okay, so questions for Joe on Twitter. So uh, first one is from at Ben Schroetz. Uh, he's got a question about drones. He said, do drones run on a pre-programmed flight path exactly, or do they take more of a hybrid approach to account for weather and things like that, such as wet wind? Uh, and if they do account for wind and you know, and the like, uh, how do they deal with failures? Like if they lose GPS or something like that? Yeah. So they fly in a pre-programmed flight path and that flight flight pass is determined by a GPS fix. So basically a grid or, um, oh God, what do they call it? Here, remember what they call it. It's, it's like an air box, so to speak. Okay. That's defined in which they fly in. So the show is loaded into each drone and they fly to a position. And the only time they're in communication with the ground station is getting an update. Otherwise, they're getting communication from GPS up to 21 satellites. Mm-hmm. So if wind is moving them, they're going to account for it and move back into the position they're supposed to be in. If one of them does have an issue uh, and gets confused, loses a GPS signal, has a battery issue, it auto-lands. It basically comes straight back down. 
to the landing site or straight down? Come straight down. Straight down. Yeah. Fortunately, these these drones aren't aren't quite there. Well, they'll return to base, mm -hmm. like some of your aerial photography aerial, aerial drones, photo, that uh, photography drones. Uh, so they'll land straight back down. So that's why the site you're flying over is of particular importance to. I mean, there is a drone at Kings Island that will probably be found when the, when the roller coaster is built at some point. <laughs> One came down in the woods. So, but that's what they do. They will come straight down. So that's why parameters are in place. You don't fly them over spectators. Uh, you fly them a distance away from spectators and they stay within the defined box. They may launch and move to a box, but never launch over spectators or over anything that could be damaged by a falling drone. So do the drones, does each individual drone have its own flight path? Like, for example, does drone number 25 always make the top left corner of the K in Kings Island or is it? I, I, it's, they, they get, they, they, and some of this is over my head. Right. <laughs> and I think some of it's over a lot of people's heads, except for the guy that wrote the software. Um, but no, they, they all go out into a different position. But based on their positioning as to where they are on the initial grid, determines what their flight path is. Okay, so they don't, so I've seen them lay them out. So it's a grid, it's like a matrix. Yeah. They don't necessarily have to put them in the same spot every time. No, it's not a numbered, it's gotta go here, it's gotta go here. No, they they figure out where they are. So they communicate with each other? Well, they communicate with each other. That, that's where it's very, it gets over my head. So I'm not entirely <laughs> sure. I always thought about that because like, you know, especially up, I mean, how like when they're making their images and stuff, how high up are they? Um, your maximum ceiling is 400 feet. Okay. We had a variance at Kings Island to go to 600. Okay. But it's because we needed to clear trees. We needed to get over the top. Mm -hmm. It's because the bottoms of the images are starting to get obscured. So, but typically they're, they're flying at 400 feet max altitude. Okay. Uh, so my concern would be that if there was like a wind gust that they couldn't communicate, they could hit each other. But I, I, there is a wind parameter and, and it, it, typically the, the, the manufacturer recommends whatever would keep you from shooting a fireworks display, which is 20 miles an hour and up, mm -hmm. is what you probably aren't, shouldn't be flying. Yeah, I mean, I mean that, that makes total sense. Um, so the next question is uh, also about drones. Um, so it's from at Jim Flugel. He said, who thought of the design pictures for the drones in the sky? But he also asked, non-drone non question, was the Eiffel Tower ever considered to be part of the display? Was it the wherever tops of shooting stuff off the Eiffel Tower or whatever, I think that's what it means. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, we've talked about it and we did it a couple times in the past. Mm. Um, I don't know if you mind if I answer this because I could tell you. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it goes back to uh, um, um, prior to Leslie, his name escapes me. That person. Doug Kramer. Uh, yeah. I mean, the biggest concern was you have to shut that feature down. Mm -hmm. So it makes it inaccessible to guess. And, you know, it's it's interesting at amusement parks because if your park was not designed with fireworks in mind and that this is our fireworks display site forever, mm -hmm. like at Disney or something like that, you know, eventually the park encroaches. Mm -hmm. So now you start shutting down rides. And, you know, park GMs don't like to do that because patrons don't like it. So... It would require shutting that the tower down, and I don't. I just don't think that was with the the beast going down, with racer going down, and Orion. We just didn't want to lose anything else. 
Yeah. Well, and, and to clarify, just, just from you know an industry standpoint, it, it's you're not necessarily saying that we decided, but then the day before we cut it out. No. It's, it's, when, when big projects are discussed, everything is on the table. It, yeah. Everything is on the table. So no matter what, were you considering using the Eiffel Tower? Of course you were. That was sure. definitely mentioned at some point. You know? Sure. Yeah. Ask Lance what he wanted to do off the top of it. It involved a, a lot of propane and uh, a nice giant uh, Prometheus head. Yeah, but Joe's right yeah. though about shutting down different attractions and that. I mean, you just you know, there's some guests that come to the park, and that is a big thing that they want yeah. that attraction. They want to ride it at night or something like that. So you you want to limit as much as you can. Yeah, I I know, and also a lot of people like to watch the fireworks from the Eiffel Tower. Mm-hmm. So uh, that kind of eliminates that. But I guess that's the trade-off involved. You know, we, I mean, having the show the size that it is, you know, eliminates the beast and, you know, part of the racer and so on. So Someday, something special will come up and it'll be worth shutting it down for one day. That, that was the other problem. It was 85 days. At a certain point in the day or evening, it'd have to be shut down. Yeah. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, a lot of people that are probably watching, listening to this are thinking like 950, shut it down, but not necessarily because there's a lot of work that goes into it. And sometimes it's not safe for the average Joe to be around when the pyrotechnicians who know what they're doing are handling products close to them. So, all right. Uh, but who designed the pictures of the drones in the sky? Not the pictures, the, the pictures that the drones made, I think is what they're saying. So the images came from the show producer, Michael Roddy. Uh, he worked with uh, a gentleman by the name of Mason Hayes from Verge Arrow, who was a brilliant drone designer. Uh, we used Mason because he was well-versed in their software. We had to turn something around rather quickly, uh, and he, he did a fantastic job. So he did all of the design work. Yeah, that's cool. Um, so next question is from at Lonald P. Dakes. Uh, so you already answered this question. He asked, what's your favorite theme park fireworks show that you produce? You mentioned fun fireworks in 50. What's the second place? Theme park? He says theme park. Yeah. I like the state show at Cedar Point. Which year? We did the, for the 150th. That was a great show. Which actually we did. It was supposed to be in 2020, unfortunately, but they did it in 2020 or in 21. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, no, that was a neat show. Was that was an show amazing show. On. Yep, I was there for opening night of that. That yep. was a great show. Yep. That was so cool because you had the stuff shooting from behind the stage and like scaffolding, yep. and it was on on the beats of one five zero, and then it, it would yep. shoot. That was that so was cool. a nice show. Yeah, that was a great show. Um, what's your what was your favorite non theme park show that you've ever that you've ever been involved with? You got plenty of river fests under your belt, and <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of river fest shows that that were really good. Last year was really good. But understand, we only see those shows on video. I don't get to see it in person. I mean, and we've done a number of shows, competing shows in Montreal Mm -hmm. uh, in the 90s and the 2000s that were just spectacular. Um, We did a competition show in 2015 in Montreal that was just gorgeous. Uh, You know, I think those, but then... You know, there's just some nice little backyard shows. You do a little sh- little show over in Anderson Township for uh, Anderson Days that you know, I did a number of years, and it's, it's a small fest. It's a big festival, but it's just a decent sized show. I'm like that's really good. Right, I live in Fairfield, and the show that you do out there at Harbin Park, yeah, yeah. And that is a spectacular show too. And 
it seems like that one never ends. It just keeps going and going and going. Yeah, it's like the 30-minute show. I uh, That was my second show that I ever did on my own when it used to be at Forest Fair Mall. For the first couple of years, and I moved it to Harbin Park, the highest point in Butler County. So you can see that for miles, because you can see for miles up there. It's, it's yeah, a really great site. Yeah. yeah uh, well, I mean, Forest Fair Mall, if that's Fairfield Fireworks, that might not be a great spot. I mean, it's open. It's wide open, but it's yeah, like oh God, this, <laughs> this was in 91 and 92. We did it off the parking garage. Oh. So it was a long, we did it two years, and then they moved it. Fairfield took it over and, and moved it up to Harbin Park, and it's been there ever since. Yeah, that's a great show. I highly recommend if you yeah. live in, especially like in Butler County, whatever, that you check that one out. Yeah, well, there's a guy in the neighborhood right below us who shoots one heck of a show in his backyard, too. We sit there and watch. And it's, I don't know what he's got. And I, every year, I look, I used to, when I used to shoot it, I used to look at uh, at, uh, at Chief and say, Chief, you're going to do something about that. One of these days, you're going to get somebody hurt. And he's like, Joe, by the time I got over there, they'd be gone. Like, yeah, yeah, enough said. So, but every year, we get to watch these guys shoot. Shoot shells in those backyards. <laughs> Shoot actual shells. Shoot shells. Oh, yeah. Yep. So it's not just risking his health; it's risking, risking your house. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, okay. So uh, at B Schroetz asked, uh, "How long does it take to pull off the WBN fireworks? When do you start planning for that?" You know, we talk about it all year. What do we want to do on the river? <clears throat> right after the, the the show, we'll we'll chat about what looked good, what didn't look good, when we're trying next year. And just off and on throughout the year. When we finally get the soundtrack, usually it's right around or right after the 4th of July when we sit down and start scripting um, is when we're really into it. Uh, and then, you know, it takes about a week to 10 days to pack it, put everything together. Uh, and then we're on site for about seven days. Mm -hmm. um, takes us six days to load it in and, uh, and get it set up and ready to shoot. We're a day on each bridge maybe a day and a half on each bridge and then the day to tear everything down so it's you know it's it's a lot there's a lot that goes into it you know there's 20 a crew of about 20 15 on the barges all day and then it balloons to about 25 or so when we bring the bridges in um, so there's a lot that goes into it but we start pretty much planning it really planning it right after the fourth of july how many shots like firework shots are, are in a typical show yeah, it's it's it's. Uh, <laughs> I think it was about 240 modules this year, firing modules, which carried 32 shots per plus its finale. Don't hold me to this, but I think it was about 7,200 items. Wow! And some of those are multiple shot candles and cakes. Mm -hmm. And that's that's one. Yeah, one that's shot. each eye. Yeah, so if you have a 50 shot cake, you add 50 to that thing. If you have 150 shot cakes, add that number to it. <clears throat> So, um, I, just just to add to this question, though, uh, the the average person finds out like the theme of it. Um, yeah, usually about a week before, two weeks before. When do you find out? I, I know that you get the soundtrack right around the Fourth of July. You mentioned, but uh, one year it was space themed. When did you find that out? Did you find out well, when no, you found it? Usually in the spring. Oh, really? They start throwing themes around. That's really cool. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's all we got from Twitter. Um, Joe, thanks for being on the show. Um, uh, once again, if anyone's interested in shooting fireworks with Joe, uh, he's got a shooter school coming up in the spring, and we're going to link to the information involved with that in the description of both the video and the um, you know the podcast app. So give it a shot. It's it's fun. It's hard work, but it's rewarding. <laughs>
Joe, do you have any final words of wisdom before we? No, start? I just thank you guys for having me, and uh, you know, I hope uh, your listeners enjoy the show. All right, we appreciate your time. Thank awesome. you. Well, thanks for listening, everyone. We'll see you next week. Thank you.